So I am very happy that Sister Gabriella can join us today. I have the pleasure of introducing Sister. Sister is a native of South Korea, and she emigrated with her parents from South Korea to the United States when she was four years old. And they arrived eventually in Ridley Park, Pennsylvania. And as a matter of fact, just down the street and around the corner from where my family was. So we grew up very close to one another. But we attended different schools, and so we did not necessarily know each other, but we did go to the same parish. And when we would attend Mass, uh, we found out later, when we both were members of the Dominican Sisters of St. Cecilia, that uh, we would eye each other's families over um, at the 1115 Mass <laughs> because our families were sitting just three or four pews away from one another. <laughs> this semester, or this year, Sister will be celebrating her 25th year as a Dominican Sister this summer. So um, she's been. And through those 25 years, she has had many teaching assignments from second grade to end up, and uh, now is teaching at Aquinas College. She wrote her master's thesis on St. Catherine of Siena, and I, I believe it was spiritual maternity in the writings and life of St. Catherine. So she is very happy to join us today, and we are very happy to have her. And please join me in welcoming Sister Gabriella. Thank you, Sister Henry Suso. We actually didn't sit three or four pews apart. We actually sat right behind one another. Or she, her family sat right behind mine. Every 1115 Mass. It was amazing. So eventually, after Sister entered the convent, I got to know her older sister, Susan. And that's how I heard about our community. So the Lord works in mysterious ways. So I'm delighted to be here with you. I thought we could begin with um, a prayer from St. Catherine to the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. O Holy Spirit, come into my heart. By your power, draw it to yourself, God, and give me charity with fear. Guard me, Christ, from every evil thought, and so warm and inflame me again with your most gentle love, that every suffering may seem light to me. My Holy Father and my gentle Lord, help me in my every need. Christ's love, Christ's love. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. By the way, I do have a handout for you with all the slides on them that you're welcome to take a copy of as you leave. That might free you up so you won't have to worry about taking pictures or um, taking notes um, as you listen. Oh, sorry. There we go. I thought I'd start with a brief bio about St. Catherine. First of all, she was born in 1347 in Siena, Italy. Siena is near Florence. Have you ever been to Florence? It's in the Tuscany region of Italy, one of the most beautiful parts of Italy. Italy's a beautiful country to begin with, right, Stefano? Um, but Tuscany is particularly beautiful. Um, so Catherine was from Siena, which is why we call her 
St. Catherine of Siena. She was a third order Dominican. In fact, I learned something new. She is actually a patroness of the Dominican lady. You probably already knew that. Um, so in Catherine's day, women really only had two choices, either to get married or to enter the cloister. And Catherine knew instinctively that she wasn't called to the cloister, but neither was she called to marriage. And so she did something rather unusual for someone her age. She was only a teenager. She joined a group of lay Dominicans called the Mantellate. They got the name from the mantles that they would wear. And they were mostly widows who would serve the sick and the poor. They lived in their own homes, but they would pray together. They would pray the divine office together in the Church of St. Dominic in Siena. So Catherine joined. She, it took her mother, Mama Lapa, some convincing, but eventually she came around and saw that Catherine had this special vocation um, and allowed her to join the Mantellate. Catherine reached the heights of mystical prayer in a very short time. She only lived 33 years. And she reached the heights of mystical prayer and even received the stigmata, which um, are the wounds of Christ. And it's a special privilege that some of the saints are granted. Now, you, you know, we know St. Francis received the stigmata, Padre Pio. Um, and so Catherine was one of the saints. St. Gemma Galgani, whose saint is coming up on Monday. So Catherine was one of these saints who received the stigmata. She wrote the dialogue. Um, I was excited to hear that that will be one of your study options for next year. I hope at least a few of you are interested. The dialogue is not easy reading. Um, Catherine actually didn't call it that. She called it my book, El Mio Libro. Um, and really, if you think about a dialogue being, being between two people, who do you think does most of the talking in the dialogue? Not Catherine. And God does most of the talking. And of the three persons, who does most of the talking? How many of you say God the Father? God the Son? God the Holy Spirit? It's actually yeah. God the Father. God the Father does most of the talking. Um, so I like to say that um, St. Catherine was smart. She let God the Father do most of the talking. She got the credit and then became a doctor of the church. Now, I call that a feminine genius. <laughs> and she wrote nearly 400 letters. Now, Catherine was unlettered, which means that she didn't have the opportunity for formal education. So she learned how to read enough to be able to pray the divine office, and that was a miracle. Our Lord actually appeared to her and taught her how to read. So when she would pray the office, when she would get to the glory be, she would say, glory be to the Father and to you and to the Holy Spirit, because she could actually see our Lord. So you might have seen images of Catherine walking with our Lord, holding a book. They're praying the office together. Um, so Catherine dictated the dialogue. She also dictated most of these letters. She had secretaries. And like St. Thomas, she could dictate several letters. At, you know, Thomas, St. Thomas could dictate several books at one time to various secretaries. They could barely keep up with him. Well, Catherine was kind of like that. She would dictate several letters at the same time to the various secretaries. Um, so we have nearly 400 of these letters existing. And um, so I'm going to share one of them with you today. She persuaded the Pope to return to Rome. So the, the Pope was French at this time, Gregory XI, and he was very comfortable in southern France, in Avignon, eating his caviar, I'm sure. Um, and actually, Italy was not a very safe place to be, especially for French popes. Um, and so he didn't really want to live in Rome. But he was, he, you know, St. Peter died in Rome, and that's really where the Pope belonged. And no one could convince him to come back to Rome, except for Catherine. Catherine actually went to Avignon, um, to the people court, and she was able to persuade Pope Gregory XI to return to Rome. And he said, Catherine, I'll return to Rome, but not without you, because he knew that he couldn't, he couldn't make it um, on his own strength. He needed her to pray for him. So she actually 
with her spiritual family, came, made the journey from Siena to Rome. She died in Rome on April 29th, which is coming up, um, 1380. And um, her body is um, under the altar in Santa Maria Sopra Minerva, which is a Dominican church in Rome. It's in the center of Rome. And um, it's near where she lived. Um, and the house where she lived in, in, in the middle of Rome actually is open, especially on her feast day, for people to visit. She was canonized in 1622 and was made a doctor of the church in 1970. Um, actually, two women saints were made doctors of the church in 1970. Does anybody know the other? St. Teresa of Avila. So they were the first two women to be made doctors of the church. Then St. John Paul II made another female saint a doctor of the church. Anybody know who that is? St. Therese of Lisieux. And then Pope Benedict XVI made a fourth woman a saint. Well, he had to canonize her first, and then he made her a doctor of the church, St. Hildegard of Bingen. So we have four women doctors of the church. Now, these, none of these women really had the opportunity for formal education, I don't think. Um, Hildegard might have been one exception. Um, but what does it mean that they are made doctors of the church? It means that they have writings that are considered, considered of universal value a value for everyone, not just Carmelites, not just Dominicans, for everyone. But of course, we as Dominicans are going to be particularly interested in the writings of our Dominican um, female doctor of the church. So this is a letter that Catherine dictated, wrote to her niece, Sister Eugenia, who who did have a cloistered vocation. She was in a Dominican monastery. Um, Now, lest you think that this is advice only for cloistered Dominican nuns, she did write a similar letter to a a laywoman. So a relay person. So Catherine means this advice for everyone. So she begins, as she begins pretty much all her letters, in the name of Jesus Christ crucified. So here we are on Palm Sunday, Passion Sunday, about to be, uh, we have actually begun the holiest week of the year. And so, but Catherine, it wasn't just during Holy Week that Catherine would contemplate the mystery of Christ crucified. She, uh, she did it every day. Um, And she doesn't mention Our Lady very often, but when she does, it's with great reverence. So here, she speaks of Our Lady as gentle Mary. I believe the word in Italian is dolce, which can be translated as sweet. Um, But Our Lady's maternal gentleness is being invoked here. And then she addresses her niece as dearest daughter. Does that strike you as strange? wasn't literally her daughter, related to her. But for Catherine, being from a very large Italian family, everybody she saw as somehow a relation to her. Even the Pope, she would call my dearest father and son in Christ Jesus. So here, dearest daughter. And actually, I forgot to mention, Catherine wrote to everybody. So not just the Pope, bishops, cardinals. She wrote to um, kings and queens. She wrote to politicians. She wrote to um, prisoners. Uh, I was very happy to hear about the prison ministry that some of you are engaged in. She wrote to prostitutes. She wrote to her own family members. She wrote to everybody. So her letter, some people will say the dialogue can be a little bit hard to get into because Catherine is so intense. And she thinks and writes in images. So you kind of want to take Catherine in small doses. Um, but her letters are a little more accessible, right? They're self-contained. And we can relate to reading a letter from somebody. Or maybe an email, text, I don't know. St. Catherine. So then she identifies herself as a sender. Io Catarina. I, Catherine. Servant and slave of the servants of Jesus Christ. 
So she says, identifying herself as a servant of Jesus Christ and then at the service of the other servants of Jesus Christ. Write to you in his precious blood. Catherine, I mentioned, speaks in images, and probably the most prevalent image in her writings is the blood, the precious blood of our Lord. Not because she has a morbid fixation. It's because the blood represents the love, the infinite love of Christ poured out for us. So she can't get enough of it. And she tends to mix her metaphors, so she'll say things like, I want you to drown, something like, I want you to well, drown in the fire of divine charity, but also in the blood. So um, she's constantly invoking the precious blood of Christ upon her um, disciples, her, um, the recipients of her letters. So what does she want for Eugenia and for us? She wants, she's writing with desire to see her tasting the food of angels. Now when we hear that, You might be thinking of the bread of angels, the Eucharist, right? But Catherine isn't thinking specifically about the Eucharist here, but there's a relation. She likes to build a little suspense. For you have been created for nothing else. Now, all of a sudden, aren't you very interested in knowing what this is? Because this is what we were created for, this food of angels. Anyone want to guess what this is? I already ruled out the Eucharist. I mean, the Eucharist, yes, is the body, blood, and uh, soul and divinity of Jesus Christ. Yes, and we very much need the Eucharist. But Catherine's thinking of something else here. Sister Mary Ruth? The will of God, like the food, when Jesus says, okay. you have food to eat. I have food to eat, you know not God. Very good guess, Sister Mary Ruth. The will of God, does that sound good to you? Okay, it's yeah. very much related to the will of God. But Catherine doesn't use the word will. She uses another word. Anyone else want to guess? Or add on? Okay. She says, in order that you might taste it, God redeemed you with the blood of his only begotten son. So in the fall of our first parents, Adam and Eve, we lost our ability to reach our eternal destination. This food of angels, we had to forfeit it. But it was restored to us in Christ. So reflect, dearest daughter. This food is not eaten on earth, but above. So it's heavenly food. Therefore, the Son of God chose to be lifted up on the wood of the Holy Cross so that we might receive this food at this table on high. So Christ, is great. he makes possible our, our ability to receive this food that we need in order to reach our destiny. Vision of God. Well, the vision of God, we are made for the beatific vision. Um, okay, so here. Yes, Catherine, we, we are wondering this. What is this food of angels? She likes to anticipate the questions of her, of her interlocutors, and she says, my answer is that it is a desire of God. So Sister Mary Ruth, you're very close. Desire of God, will of God. So we desire, so um, we, because we're composite beings, body and soul, we, have, uh, we can desire at the level of our emotions, but we can also desire at the level of our wills, which is our spiritual capacity. Okay, so Now God, of course, being pure spirit, he only desires at the level of the will. Okay, so he's say, she's saying here, my answer is that it is a desire of God which draws to itself the desire that is in the depths of the soul. So God... So, we often get things backwards, you know, but really, God, 
and we think somehow we initiate things, but really, God, you know, raise your hand if you created yourself. No. So God initiates everything, right? And, um, but our, so our job is to respond. So this food of angels is God's desire for us, and it calls forth a response from us, right? So we can accept, right, and respond, right? So in the depths of our soul, because we're made for God in such a way that together they make one thing. So because our wills are free, we're not forced to accept, right, God's love for us. And yet, we're, hopefully, um, we, we will accept, right? Uh, we will use our freedom um, for the highest good, who is God, to be united to God. So together, they make one thing, because love is by nature unitive. And God, you know, we read in the first letter, letter of John, God is love. That is his nature. And so God, who actually doesn't need anyone or anything outside himself, wills to create the universe, wills to create us, and wills to invite us into perfect communion with him. Um, so we are made for God. And so this is the eternal destination that we, Adam and Eve, lost and is restored to us in Christ. So then Catherine, uh, no, you might have seen the ellipsis at the end of the last screen. There's a little more in the letter that I um, cut out for the sake of brevity. So she goes on to talk about prayer as being of three kinds. And you might think, okay, what does prayer have to do with reaching our eternal destiny? What do you think? Does prayer have anything to do with our reaching our eternal destiny? Receiving this food of angels? Yes. Well, it's, it's harnessing our will and our desire and linking it. Very good. So St. Saint, um, Saint Thomas defines prayer as the interpreter of desire. And St. Augustine says that... Um, it is legitimate to pray for anything that is legitimate to desire. So, um, yes, prayer is an expression of desire, right? Desire for God, to be united to God. And then for all that we need, we, we are so needy, right, as human beings. We need everything um, from God. So prayer is of three kinds, she says. So prayer is vital, and yet so, so often, I don't know, like, even we as sisters, if we're not careful, we can go the entire day, okay, yes, okay, we have, we have prayer built into our day as a community, but we also need to make time for per, private prayer, personal prayer, and if we're not careful, we can actually get to the end of our day without actually having made that time, and that's very much to our own detriment, and then it impoverishes our community, impoverishes the church and the world, and each of you, right, you're talking about making promises. I imagine one of those promises is, is to pray, so prayer is vital, and yet so often we don't make time for it. And part of the problem is that we're actually not quite sure how to go about it, right? Because it's not efficient, right? I love how St. Thomas Merton defined prayer as wasting time with God because it feels like a waste of time, right? Especially in a utilitarian world where everything is all about producing, right? You know, it's easy. People can't tell how much we've prayed usually, and yet, ultimately, it does eventually show, right? Because when we're not growing in virtue, it's probably because we're not praying, right? Um, so prayers of three kinds. The first is unceasing. So what does that mean? Any thoughts? Can we actually, okay, obviously, even sisters can't be in the chapel all day. Even cloister nuns can't be in the chapel all day, right? So clearly, it's not just being in the chapel all day. Any thoughts as to what this unceasing prayer is? Yes. Yes, very good. It has to do with desire, right? She says, it's a holy, constant desire which directs all your activities, spiritual and corporal, to God's honor. Spiritual and corporal, that pretty much covers all the bases. Um, you could think, um, 
in time and in eternity, supernatural, natural. Okay, so all of our activities, no matter what we're doing, whether we're in the chapel or whether we're doing something else, might be cleaning, might be teaching, whatever it is we're doing, doing computer work, everything that we do, can we do it to God's honor? Yes. But we have to make that our desire. We have to make that our intention. So Catherine's language is to say doing everything for God's honor. Um, another way of putting it, we could say for the love of God. St. August- Ignatius of Loyola talked about doing everything for the glory of God, the greater glory of God, right? It's all the same thing, doing everything for God. Because what's the alternative? Doing it for ourselves. Does that, is that going anywhere? No. <laughs> and yet it's so easy to do, right? And really, Cardinal Rinze has a book called God or Nothing. I haven't read it, but I was thinking, you know what? It's not so much God or nothing, I think. It's God or self. I'm either seeking myself or I'm seeking God. If I seek myself, it's not going anywhere. But if I seek God, then you know what? Everything I do can have eternal value because God is eternal, right? So do it for God. And so it is described as unceasing because we can do everything for God's glory, except for one thing. What's one thing we can't do for God's glory? Sin. So do you think that'll help us to sin less if we're doing everything for God's glory? It seems that way. And then she quotes St. Paul. She loves St. Paul. St. Paul also wrote a lot of letters, right? Um, so the glory of St. Paul seemed to be referring to this when he urged, pray constantly. So if you're not sure how to actually do that, in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Catherine is giving us some advice. Do everything for the love of God, and we will be praying constantly. Okay, the second kind is vocal prayer. How many of you have heard of vocal prayer, right? It's, so spiritual writers usually will have different categories for prayer, and most of them talk about vocal prayer. And the way most spiritual writers categorize vocal prayer is prayers that in someone else's words, whether the words are from scripture or the words are in the liturgy, um, or maybe it's, we prayed a prayer of St. Catherine, right? So that was a vocal prayer we prayed together. So Catherine says, you engage in this when you say the office or other prayers aloud. So the divine office, these are not our words. They're given to us in scripture and by the church. So that's vocal prayer and other prayers. Um, Now, even if we don't pray them out loud, I think they're usually still categorized as vocal prayer if they're not our own words. Um, Okay. So then she says, this is meant to bring you to the third kind of prayer, Mental prayer. Now, most spiritual writers will categorize mental prayer as praying in your own words, which Catholics don't tend to be very good at because we don't get a whole lot of practice with that. Um, But we should practice that, praying to God in our own words. And that could be out loud, or it could also be in the silence of our hearts. But Catherine actually talks about mental prayer a little bit differently. She says, your soul reaches this kind of prayer through the use of vocal prayer with prudence and humility. Okay, prudence is one of the cardinal virtues. It's actually the virtue that guides right action. Um, And humility is actually a species of the virtue of temperance. Uh, Because you think about temperance and moderation as being similar. So humility moderates our our self-esteem. Okay, are we supposed to have low self-esteem? No, that's a vice. Are we supposed to have high self-esteem? Well, actually, we're supposed to have the right self-esteem, which is called humility. Humility. 
High self-esteem, if we have, a, um, if we have an inflated estimation of ourselves, then that's, actually that's not a virtue, it's a vice, it's called pride. So humility is a virtue which grounds us in the truth of who we are. So we don't, we're not thinking that we're better or worse than we actually are. Um, so she says we need to pray with prudence and humility so that while the tongue speaks, the heart is not far from God. So what she's saying is when we engage in vocal prayer, we should be thinking about the words that we're saying so we're not rattling off words, which is really easy to do, right? Especially when we learn the prayers by heart that we can start giving God lip service. But we, we should actually mean the words that we say, pay attention to what we're saying. Um, so combining vocal prayer and mental prayer really is the ideal. Now, is that easy to do? No. Um, but we, sh- we can pray for the grace to do that. And when distractions come, um, hopefully, as long as we're not choosing them or dwelling, you know, then it's actually not a sin. You know, a, a, an extraneous idea pops into our head during time of prayer. Well, that's, I heard one, one um, retreat master liken that to flies at a picnic. No one invites flies to a picnic. But when they show up, we can ignore them. If we start focusing on the flies, it kind of ruins the picnic. So ignore the distractions and they'll go away. However, Catherine continues, you need to try hard to hold and keep your heart in the power of God's love. That's what she's saying. The whole point of prayer is to grow in charity, grow in love for God, because really God's going to fill us with his love if we let him. Um, But we can't do that if we're not paying attention to him while we're praying. And whenever you perceive that God is visiting your mind so that it's drawn in any way to think of its creator, you ought to abandon vocal prayer and to fix your mind with great love on God's visitation. So um, this is a little hard to do when you're praying with other people, right, in the office. You're not going to suddenly, you know, hopefully, well. um, So I think Catherine is saying more, maybe when you're praying on your own, maybe you're praying the rosary or you're praying the Stations of the Cross, and and you sense God's nearness. Well, don't keep going necessarily with the vocal prayer she's saying. Actually, take a moment to really pay attention to God because that's a special grace you're receiving. You know, a deep, a heightened sense of his nearness. So, and and the analogy that helps me with this is, you know, we as sisters, we rely on snail mail, you know, to stay in touch with our families. So, you know, my mom, in my family, my mom writes the most consistently. So I love receiving letters from my mom. But imagine if I'm reading a letter from my mom and all of a sudden I find out that my mom's on the phone. Well, to continue reading the letter when my mom's on the phone, that doesn't make any sense. Obviously, I'm going to go to the, the closer way of communicating with her, right? So that's what Catherine's saying. You know, you're engaging in vocal prayer, and hopefully you're, you're trying to also you resist distractions and you're paying attention to what you're praying. But then you really sense God's nearness in prayer. Well, then you can actually pause the vocal prayer and really pay attention to God because that's a special grace. That's, does that make sense? So she's just trying to get us to go deeper. And she knows what she's talking about, so we want to follow her advice. Then when this ends, if there's time, you ought to take up vocal prayer again. You can finish the rosary later, you know, um, or the stations or whatever it is that you're praying, so the mind may always be full rather than empty. If you encounter different kinds of struggle in your prayer, or if you experience confusing darkness of mind, so I think... The word in Italian is confusione, so that's her word for discouragement, really. Um, and St. Ignatius of Loyola, Loyola would talk about as spiritual desolation as opposed to consolation. So if we experience this, 
Um, this is the devil making the soul feel that her prayer is not pleasing to God. Do you, I mean, I find it amazing how many, how many times, you know, I might have a particular time of the day that I've set aside for my personal prayer, and it's amazing how many um, other things I'll think of that I really need to do before I can get to the chapel. Have you noticed that? And really, we do have an enemy of souls. And the last thing he wants to do, of us to do, is to um, increase our prayer, because he knows that that's what's going to happen, right? We're going to get holy, and then that's going to set him back, right? Because he wants, he wants to destroy us, and he wants to destroy, he wants to destroy everybody, right? Because he hates God, and he hates us. Um, so don't, don't let him, right? So this is the devil making the soul feel that her prayer is not pleasing to God, because if we think that, then we're going to stop praying, which actually is another score for the enemy. So don't give in to that temptation. It's a temptation. Um, you ought, nevertheless, never give up on account of struggles and darkness. So even St. Therese fell asleep regularly in the chapel. So if you have a time for adoration and you fall asleep, that's really okay. You're there. And you can't help it if you're weak and you're exhausted, but you're there. And God can still give you um, the graces he wants to give you. Um, but rather, stand firm. So she, now she's going to talk about two other virtues we need. Courage, so that's the third um, cardinal virtue, and it's also a gift of the Holy Spirit, also known as fortitude. We need that. And then perseverance is actually a species of fortitude. It's staying the course, right? Because it's so easy to give up and thinking, you know, to think that our prayers aren't amounting to anything, and yet they are. They're vital. God has put powerful weapons into our hands, and we need to make use of them. Remembering that the devil does this to draw you away from your mother prayer. Now, Catherine speaks about prayer as a mother. She also speaks about charity as a mother. Does that sound strange to you, or does that seem to make sense? You think about the nurturing, right, of mothers. So prayer nurtures us in in charity, which is God's love. We need it. Um, And, okay, so they're related. Prayer um, enables us to receive God's charity. So that God, and God permits it meaning the temptations, to test the courage and constancy of your soul. So we have tests in every area of our life, right? We can't advance from one level of of skill to another, right, without being tested and to um, prove our proficiency. And so in in the life of virtue and in prayer, temptations actually have um, an important role, right? We don't know if we're growing when we can pass a test. I can think that I'm a very patient person until someone comes in and gets on my nerves. And then if I lose my patience with that person, I'll know where I am, right? So that that the testing actually is important to grow in self-knowledge. And also um, to beg God, right, for an increase of that virtue, because we realize where we actually are, where we're actually not as far, far along as we thought we were. God chose, allows us also so that in your struggle and darkness, you may know that of yourself, you are nothing. Um, so you may have heard the famous words where um, Catherine said, I think this uh, blessed Raymond of Capua, her spiritual director, he was a canon lawyer, but he was no match for Catherine. He could barely keep up with her. Um, but she told him that God said to her in prayer, Catherine, um, you, I am he who is, and you are she who is not. 
Now, most of us would have been devastated to hear that because we have an inflated, you know, like we don't really know ourselves. Um, but Catherine, actually, that's actually very freeing to know. Of ourselves, we are nothing. It takes all the performance anxiety off, right? God is everything. He is the great I am. And doesn't our Lord say in the Gospel of John, um, remain on the vine, right? I am the vine, you are the branches. Without me, you can do most things, some things. No, what does he say? Without me, you can do, everyone, nothing. Nothing, because really, God created us out of nothing, and, we, uh, and, and so to think that we can do anything, right? Certainly, we can do nothing of supernatural value without him. Um, really, of ourselves, we are nothing. None of us created ourselves. None of us can save ourselves. None of us can get us to our eternal destination. We have to rely upon God. And so the first beatitude is poverty of spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, right? So that's all about realizing um, our dependency on God and relying on him. Right? For everything that we need. I may know through the good intention in which you remain, the goodness of God, who is the giver and preserver of a good and holy will. A will such as this is granted to everyone who desires it. By this means, the soul reaches the third and last kind of prayer, namely mental prayer in which she receives the reward of the trial she experienced in her imperfect vocal prayer. So vocal prayer, um, it's a start, but it's not, it's not the highest level of prayer. It's actually usually the first level, the first grade of prayer. Um, but we have to start somewhere. So that's why it's called imperfect, because we're called to perfection, the perfection of charity. Um, so vocal prayer should be combined with mental prayer. Now, most spiritual writers will, won't even speak of mental prayer as being the highest form of prayer. Contemplation is actually the highest form of prayer. But for Catherine, she keeps things pretty simple. So in her mind, if we're, if we, if we're praying vocal prayers and we're praying them with attention and devotion, then God will take us at our word, and he will, he will take us deeper in prayer. He'll show up, you know, in those in those um, the special graces that she talked about earlier that we should we should be attentive to. So Catherine says, the soul abides with her bridegroom, who is Christ, at the table of crucified desire. So our desires, so we have desires at the level of the emotions. We also have desires at the level of the will. And so the fact that we can desire is good, right? So these are God-given abilities. Um, but what we desire, the object of our desires, sometimes can, can be led astray, right, by temptation. So we want our desires to be crucified, right, with Christ. Sinful desires, obviously, be crucified um, so that our desires can be purified. So really, what we're wanting, you know, the highest motivation we can have for anything is to do it for the love of God. So if that's our highest motivation, then our, our sinful desires have been crucified, and we are desiring the highest thing we can desire, which is God's honor. Rejoicing to seek the honor of God, and then the salvation of souls. So these go together, right? Love of God, love of neighbor. So God tells St. Catherine, the soul goes to God on two feet, love of God and love of neighbor. So seeking God's honor and the salvation of souls. We want to keep the two together because they go together. So I quoted Thomas Merton earlier, defining prayer as wasting time with God. You know how he defines charity? Wasting time with our neighbor. Because <laughs> it can feel very inefficient, right? Um, like wasting time. Um, but actually, no, it's the highest use of our time, right? Doing everything for love of God and love of neighbor. 
This prayer is surely a mother who, by the love of God, conceives the virtues. So again, Catherine is using this maternal imagery. So virtues, she says, we conceive, just as a child is conceived and then brought to birth, hopefully. Um, So we conceive the virtues, and then we bring them to birth in our love of neighbor. So how do I know how patient I am? Right? I might think I've conceived that virtue in my soul. But then when it's tested, when someone tests my patience and I'm actually able to hold on to my patience and not lose it, then actually I, that, that, that virtue of patience is brought to birth in my love of neighbor. Does that make sense? Okay. Oh, sorry. The soul receives and tastes this mother prayer more or less perfectly according as she nourishes herself with the food of angels. Not every, remember what that is? God's desire for us meeting our desire for God and making of us one thing, uniting us to him. Because we're made for God, that is, with a true and holy desire for God, raising herself up, as I said, to receive it at the table of the most gentle cross. Do you see how she speaks in images? She's a poet at heart and a mystic, which is why she can be a little hard to understand. I have nothing more to say. Well, she said plenty to us. (laughs) Remain in the holy, gentle love of God. Gentle Jesus, Jesus love. Jesu Dolce, um, Dolce Jesu, I think, is the Italian. So here's a recap of St. Catherine's advice on prayer. First of all, know we were created for a union with God in love. Many people today are confused about who they are, why they're here, where they're going, right? We ought not be confused, right, as Christians, as Catholics, as Dominicans. We were created for union with God in love. So if you only remember one thing from this talk, please remember this. This is what we were made for. And so Catherine gives us advice for how we can reach this eternal destination. First of all, we can pray um, unceasingly by doing everything for the love of God. Secondly, we can engage in vocal prayer, but first we have to make the time to pray, and then actually do it, it doesn't have to be long, right? So if you're not making time for personal prayer each day, start small, five minutes. Surely you can afford five minutes. Sign up for the Adoration Chapel on on the campus is open now. You can sign up. You can sign up for a time. We need adorers. So, so when you make a commitment, there's something about making a commitment that really helps, right? Someone's counting on you to be there. Well, then sign up um, and take the time to pray. And then mental prayer. So, of course, yes, pay attention to God in prayer. Pray with attention and devotion. But then be, be receptive to God's love in prayer because that's the whole point of prayer, letting God fill us with his love, which is called charity. And the more we let God fill us with his love, the more we will be able to reach not only our eternal destination, but then share that love, be channels of God's love in this world. And we know the world desperately is in need of this. So thank you for your attention. Does anyone have any questions? (laughs) Well, that's, thank you. Um, I did bring, uh, yes. According to Catherine, I don't think these are necessarily steps. She wants us to pray in all these three ways. Um, but really, you can combine. I, I hope you're praying for the love of God, so engaging a prayer, that's an activity. And then vocal prayer, so actually praying. Now, whether that's someone else's words or your words, that's up to you. But then being receptive to God's prayer, I would say combine all, th- all three. You know, you know what I mean? Um, but then outside of your designated time of prayer, 
we should be doing everything for the love of God. So that's the unceasing prayer, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, other spiritual writers will actually give us steps, like St. Ignatius loves steps, and he gives you steps for how to engage in meditation and things like that. Um, they, these aren't necessarily steps, because they can be, they, there's some overlap. So, yeah, so you can go straight to mental prayer, I think, to answer your question. Yes. So you don't necessarily have to be just sitting real quiet for five minutes in order to start no no and I think prayer can be very individual you know like some people find different forms of prayer um, more appealing or more accessible than others so I think you have to find the form of prayer that that's most helpful to you when you go to God and you, um, you're supposed to take everything to him and so if you're frustrated or in a situation where Maybe you're angry. How do you go to God and still be reverent in telling him these things? If you read the lives of the saints, and even, like right now I'm reading some of the ecstasies of St. Gemma Golgani, whose feast is Monday, it's amazing how familiarly the saints would speak to God. If you know anything about St. Gemma, she was from Lucca, Italy, and she wanted to be a passionist nun in, in, in the worst possible way, but she was never accepted. They claim her now. But she was not accepted because she was very sickly. And and St. Jim was very upset about that. And she let the Lord know. So in these ecstasies, which somebody recorded, because she would would be praying out loud, she would say to the Lord, Jesus, I can see that you're smiling, but I'm not, because I'm upset with you. (laughs) So we can be very honest with God. I mean, if we're not honest with God, who are we going to be honest with? So I don't think I don't think that's an issue. Be very honest with it. The more honest we are with God, the better, because we need him to heal us. And, and when we're all bent out of shape, it's because we're usually it's, we're wounded, and we need him to heal us. So take all of it, all of it to prayer. Yeah. Any other questions? Yes. It's not a question. I just wanted to say uh, um, I received a blessing, particularly when I was having trouble with the desire. I wanted the desire, but... I thought it was my own until I just read a few weeks ago that it came from Ignatius. The desire for the desire. It takes it out of our hands and puts it into God's hands in the first place. So wanting the desire on our own part is much a much more difficult way to arrive. But asking God for the desire for the desire makes it his gift to us and our acceptance of it. And it turns, it turns everything. That's beautiful. That reminds me of a time when somebody um, upset me so much that I didn't want to forgive this person, but I knew that that's not a Christian thing to do. But I, I couldn't find it in my heart to forgive this person, so I asked God for the grace to even want to forgive the person, and he gave it. So, yes, I think that's similar to what you're talking about. Any, any other questions? Yes. I don't have a question, but I just want to share with you about St. Catherine. She's my saint. Oh. And I have learned so much from her, just reading her works, that she had this ongoing relationship with God that uh, that I deserve to have. Mm-hmm. And through studying her and reading her and just doing the constant conversation with God. Beautiful. It's not always a prayer, but it's a conversation. Well, Actually, no. Prayer, prayer should be a conversation. And um, I'm so glad you brought that up because I think about um, 
Father Garigou Lagrange. He's got a book, um, he's got many books, but particularly The Three Ages of the Interior Life, two tomes on the spiritual life, spiritual theology. Um, but one of my favorite sections of this work is actually in the beginning of the first volume in which he says that um, when we're not with other people, Right, Because when we're with other people, especially people we don't know very well, we usually talk, right? It's awkward to be with people we don't know very well and to have silence, right? So we're usually talking to people when we're with them. But when we're by ourselves, he says, we don't stop talking. We're still talking. Who are we talking to? Hopefully God. We're talking to ourselves. If, do you recognize that? We're always talking to somebody. So when we're with other people, we're talking to other people. When we're with ourselves, we're talking to ourselves. So he says, what we need to do to really grow in the spiritual life is we need to turn that talking to ourselves, that internal monologue, into a dialogue with God. And that is prayer. So if we can get there, that's, that's, we've arrived. I mean, that, that's, that, that's the whole point. It's hard to get there, though. We're so used to talking to ourselves that we just keep talking to ourselves and that's not going anywhere. We need to turn that monologue into a dialogue with God and then it's actually going to take us somewhere, right? How about our eternal destination? So thank you for sharing that. I think we're almost out of time, right? So let's, um, let's close with Catherine's prayer. I have one more prayer. So how about St. Catherine's prayer for the church? In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Power of you, eternal Father wisdom of your only begotten Son in his precious blood, clemency of the Holy Spirit, fire and deep well of charity that held this Son of yours fixed and nailed to the cross. You know how to, and you can, and you want to. So I plead with you, have mercy on the world and restore the warmth of charity and peace and unity to Holy Church. Gentle Jesus, Jesus love, amen. All glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end, amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Thanks and God bless.